Hey, you ever, um, you ever uh, sat or, uh, had to get together, had to, had to get together with family, and you were like, oh. And then sometimes, though, you, you, you sit around the dinner table, and everybody's there, you know, and you just kind of look around, and it's like, oh, this is nice. You know what I mean? Um, and some of you are like, no, I've never done that. <laughs> but I was, uh, I was sitting here, you know, and, uh, and, and then I, I turned around to go tell Tiffany something. My phone was going dead or something. And so, and, um, and I turn around and then there's like, this half is filled in a little bit, you know, and then, uh, the nursery kids are in the back, you know, and, and they're all kind of enjoying themselves and you heard a little clap back there. And, and that was one of those kind of like, ah, moments, you know, and, uh, I don't know, it just felt good to, um, felt good to worship with my whole family. You know, I didn't even know I was doing it and I turn around and they're back there, you know, and, and so, um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed that. I don't know why I'm sharing that. It was just a lot of fun. Um, you were never meant to do it alone. I said this a few times yesterday. Yes, because I would be working and I would turn around and everyone would have left me. And I assume it's because I was outworking them and they just couldn't put up with it. And then I have to remind people, guys, we were not meant to do this alone. So anyway, I feel like that's totally in context. <clears throat> hey, let me ask you a question. Is uh, and, and we talked about this a little bit at Bible study, so you just take a nap if you're at Bible study and rejoin us in about a minute and a half, okay? Um, but uh, ask you a question. Is church necessary? Is church necessary? Because, you know, sometimes, um, and, and some of us have done this, right? And, and, and I've been here, not for these really long gaps, but, but some of us take these really long gaps in between, like, you know, church here and there. And, and so you begin to ask, do you feel that different when you've taken this long gap? And, and maybe you were in church for a while, and then you're out, and then you're back in. Did it feel that different for you when you were out of church? This is not like a guilt trip question. This is like a legitimate question, you know. In your life, does it feel that different when you're not in church? Is it necessary? Are you better off on a week that you went to church than a week that you didn't go to church? Do people ever say to you, man, you are getting it done this week, and you're like, you know what, I am because I went to church this week. Does that ever happen for you? Um, Beyond necessary is church essential. Is church essential? Is it absolutely something that you've got to be a part of? If Jesus, in other words, if Jesus was in the business of putting his holy hands on you, you know, when you are napping in bed for everyone who's a believer, and, and this would be convenient because then if you ever ask yourself, man, do I really follow Jesus? You'd know. Well, he didn't pick me up out of my bed this morning and put me in church. But if he was really in the business of putting his, his big holy hand on you and, and setting you down at the sportsplex on days that you decided to miss, if he was really doing that, would he do that? Because is church essential? And does Jesus consider church and church service and all those things related, does Jesus consider those things to be essential? That's what I want to have a conversation with about today. I mean, conversation implies you're going to be talking back, but really, no, I'm just going to be talking. But um, but I want to talk about, you know, what this looks like. Is church essential? And specifically, what do we, as the church, what do we do for one another? And like, what are, what is this supposed to be all about? We frame that conversation within this larger one about not really being alone. You see the picture of Robbie still out there. Um, If you remember, here's what we said about being alone. We said, number one, being alone is a good way to get destroyed, right? Because one soldier fighting against a a whole army is a sure way to die, 
right? And you remember what uh, what Jesus said or what the demon said to Jesus when Jesus stands before the demon in Scripture and he says, tell me your name. And the demon says, my name is Legion because we are many. And so there's this whole idea that sometimes uh, we get this picture from the True Moo commercial, you know, where the devil is just one small devil on your shoulder and, and God is the other little thing on your shoulder and, and one's telling you, drink chocolate milk, do the wrong thing, you know, and the other one's like, no, drink milk that's good for you. And we get the idea that that's kind of the good and evil thing that is happening within us. But in reality, when Jesus confronts a real demon, like a real thing, you know, it's like we are many, like there are many of us attacking this one person. And that's kind of the nature of how it works. And trying to fight that all on your own is just a good way to fail. Here's the truth. You're not alone. Last week we said you're not alone because you have the Holy Spirit. This week we jump in and we say you're not alone because you also have the church. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to jump in there today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul writes this letter to Christians in Thessalonica. Here's an interesting thing that happened there. Paul goes to this city. This is a huge city. It's, it's sort of like the capital of Macedonia. Macedonia is like this huge region, and this is the capital, really big city. The city has like 200,000 people in it. So at that time, it's a massive city. I mean, you know, the city of New Orleans has around 300-something thousand people. That's not the whole metro area, but just the city. So, I mean, for ancient times, this is a huge city. Paul goes here, he starts uh, sharing the gospel, people start coming to know Jesus, and, and so many people start coming to know Jesus that people start getting mad that they're not going to the temples and worshiping and all those different kind of things aren't happening. And so, uh, so they kick Paul out of the city. So a lot of people come to faith in, faith in Christ, and then the person who led them to faith in Christ leaves. It'd be like you coming one Sunday and saying, you know what, I... I, I Jesus has impressed it on my heart, and, and I'd like to follow Jesus. I'd like to become a Christian. And we said, yeah, and, and let's say we had the baptistry there that day, and we, we just we did the whole thing. You, you came to faith in Christ, we baptized you, and then the next week the church shut down and, you, and none of us were here anymore. And you were kind of left to be like, man, how do I, what do I do now? You know, like, how do I figure this out? So Paul gets kicked out of the city. He absolutely can't go back. And the way that he begins to pastor these people and to tell them, hey, here's what comes next, and here's what it's supposed to look like is through some of these letters. And so you can kind of read these letters with the perspective of, in these short couple letters, Paul's just trying to give them sort of a, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what church looks like. This is what ecclesiology looks like. So we pick up in verse 9, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. This is what Paul says to him. He says, For God did not appoint us, that's us, the church, me and you, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. That means whether we're alive or dead, we're going to live with Jesus. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Uh, one of the first things he says to them in, in this particular passage is he says, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. You know what I say a lot? You know what a Christian say a lot? You know what I said too many times this week? Uh, just in light of some things that's happening uh, in my life. I, you know, I said, I said, man, it is hard to do the right thing. You ever say that? People say that to me all the time. I say that all the time. It's hard to do the right thing. You know what people say about church? You know what I say about church sometimes? Sometimes people act like going to church is, is a labor that is incredibly challenging. Yeah, we wake up every morning, every Sunday and go to church. You know, like, man, we battle through it, you know? Sort of like the same way we talk about work. And, and then we, we talk about so many things in our life that are like that. 
And man, no wonder people don't want to do what's right and people don't want to follow Jesus. Sometimes we act like you got to give up all the fun things in your life and your boat's got to rot to pieces in order for you to follow Jesus. You know, like everything fun gets kind of kicked out the door. Uh, here's what I'll say to you for one about that. It may be harder to do the right thing, but it's even harder to consistently do the wrong thing. Ask someone who consistently does the wrong thing, which results in a harder life. Consistently doing the thing that, that leads to terrible things in your life, that ends up being the harder one. It's just a harder decision initially to do what's right. But here's what Paul says. Essentially what he's saying is, you aren't meant to suffer like that. And following Jesus wasn't meant to be a thing that you suffer through. He says, you weren't meant to suffer wrath. And I think we can add here, because Scripture supports all over, you weren't meant to suffer wrath. You also weren't meant to live afraid. You weren't meant to be guilted into guilted when you miss church, or you weren't meant to be guilted into sharing your faith or feeling inadequate when you don't. You weren't meant to fear being misunderstood. You weren't meant to be angry at sinners. You weren't meant to constantly sin and have to feel like you're, you're hiding your sin so no one knows. You weren't meant to sin all the time. You weren't meant to feel timid or afraid to talk about your faith. You weren't meant to be afraid of what may happen to you at your job. You weren't meant to fear your daughter's next boyfriend or any of the other things that you're afraid of or that you feel like you have, you know, that are just weighing on your mind. You were not meant to live that way. In short, you weren't meant to be a victim of sin like you were before you followed Jesus. And you weren't meant to have to live that way. He says, rather, when we become followers of Jesus, what we get is to be saved. Chiefly and primarily, we get to be saved from the wrath of hell, but also we get to be saved from fear and saved into boldness and, and security and, and assurity and all those things. But here's what he says. He says, not saved by ourself, but rather you get saved into a family and you get saved into an eternal family, right? The church family. And here's what he says. He says, in light of that truth, in light of what you've been saved to and what you don't have to be afraid of and all those things, in light of all that, encourage one another. That's what he says in verse 11. In light of all the things that you don't have to worry about, man, you can encourage one another. Three things he says about encouraging one another. The first one really relates to this question about church and church being essential and all that kind of stuff. The next verse, verse 12, he, he, he's addressing people and, and he says specifically kind of who he's addressing. And he says, brothers and sisters. Here's what's pretty interesting about this, this book of the Bible and heck about a whole lot of letters Paul wrote. This book is written to the church at Thessalonica. What's pretty interesting is that when Paul wrote letters, he writes to the entire church. He doesn't write to the church at Thessalonica plus any believers who don't happen to go to church. When Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, talking about himself, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And he doesn't say, Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And I'll also build up some other Christians who also happen to not be a part of the church. And so, man, when Jesus talks about Jesus followers... And when, when Paul addresses Jesus' followers, he just says, I'm addressing the church. And here's a reality that I'm learning that, that, that is just kind of becoming clear to me. And I, and I think God is just kind of pressing certain things into my life. And as I read Scripture, this is what I'm seeing. When you became a believer, you joined the church. And you may not live here, and, and we didn't exist maybe when a lot of you guys became believers, right? So you didn't join this particular church, but you joined the church at large. And you joined it either for its betterment or otherwise, but you joined the church. 
and you were either present or you were totally absent or you were somewhere in between, but you joined the church. And the scripture says that when Jesus returns, he comes to claim the church. And Jesus consistently talks about you and me and people that follow him as the church. So what I want to tell you is your job is to be an encourager within the church and within the within the the functionality of the church. The second thing about being an encourager, and here's one of the great things, is you don't just have to encourage people, right? You're also called to be encouraged. I mean, I think that's a pretty cool thing because here's the reality. There is no reason for you and I to be anything but encouraged. In light of everything that Jesus has done for us, Jesus has already won everything. And when you become his follower, your eternity is secure. Everything that you could ever need is already done. You lose your job, no big deal. The big picture is already covered. Everything's already taken care of. When your your job sucks, or, or worse, you suck at your job, you just know, hey, it could be worse. Like, I could be without Jesus. I could have so many more questions to ask. And when all those things are all in limbo, you've got no reason to be anything but in encouraged because Jesus got all the big things taken care of. When you've got family problems, you have a heavenly father who knows exactly how to be a father to your family. And he knows exactly what you need. And when you don't have a father or you don't have a mother, right? And those people aren't present in your life. You have a parent who knows just what you need, who knows just how to comfort you, who knows how to get you through everything that you're going through. And so you have no reason to feel anything but encouraged. And here's the truth. If you're on the fence about whether or not, you know, encouragement really makes that big of a difference, the truth is we accomplish more when we're encouraged. If, you, if you're raising your child and you feel like, you know, all the, the tough love that you do only makes life harder at home, and then someone at church says, I just want to, you know, or someone in your life says, I just want to commend you because, you know, I mean, your kids are just so well-behaved or your kids are, and you're like, please, no, they're not, you know. But it just makes you feel like all this hard effort is really turning into something because somebody encouraged you and said, man, I see what you're doing, and it's really making a difference. When I go to work, man, I, you know, when people say, hey, you did a great job on that, I'm like, you know, thank you. And I act like, you know, it's not the first time I ever heard that. But inside I'm beaming, and I'm like, maybe I'll work a little harder because people actually notice. And then when you are encouraged, you just tend to get more done. When you share your faith and, 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 and you talk to someone about Jesus and you've been thinking about it and I talk about it a lot and, and, and so you, you finally do it and the person's like, oh, okay, you know, and you're like, well, I mean, I thought the heavens were going to open and something amazing was going to happen. And then, and then someone later comes to you and says, you know what, you shared your faith, uh, you know, and a long time ago and, 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 and it wasn't to me, it was to someone else, you know, but I heard that and, and man, that really stuck with me and that impacted me. And you just get encouraged and you're like, man, maybe I'll do that again because maybe there's an impact being made that I don't even know. Um, I heard a story uh, not long ago. There was this guy, and he was uh, he's the director of, I'm going to butcher his title, but I'm sure he doesn't listen to our podcast. But anyway, he's the director of North American Church Planting, something, something, something. I don't know. Anyway, he's got a big title. He run a huge network, millions of dollars flow through his network. So he's telling this story about his dad. And his dad was a, um, his dad was a delivery driver, uh, drove a beer truck. 
and his mom uh, stayed at home, and uh, they weren't Christians, um, and they, they had a good life, you know, normal life, that kind of thing. Well, he and his wife, they had him. He was their only son at the time. And um, and his dad and his mom were kind of being depressed, and he was like, man, I didn't think I'd just grow up to drive a truck. And the mom's like, I didn't think I'd grow up to be a truck driver's wife, you know. And they were just depressed about their life, and they wanted to be so much more and all those things. And, and they had this young child, and they were like, maybe we're just down. We're just going to get out and go to a movie, you know. So they got a babysitter. They couldn't really afford it, but they got a babysitter. They went to a movie, and they didn't have any idea what they were seeing. But it turns out somebody had rented out the whole theater, and they were playing this this Billy Graham crusade movie. And so um, they play this movie about Billy Graham's life, and, and the guy's sitting there. And after it's over, some gentleman walks up, and he says, Billy Graham kind of shares the gospel, and this guy walks up, and it's probably, he's, the guy, he's saying it's just the weirdest thing in a movie theater. And this guy shares, shares the gospel with everybody there. And he's like, if you are impacted by this movie or you want to follow Jesus, I want, you, know, you feel free to come talk to me. And, of course, nobody goes down front. It's this real awkward space. And, um, and so they leave the movie theater, and they're thinking, how strange. Later, they just begin to talk about it in the car, and they're like, you know, and, and it turns out God is impacting both of them, you know, just through this movie. And they're like, I, I think this is what's been missing for us. And so right there in the car, based on the gospel that was shared, they respond to the gospel, and they say yes. And uh, and they just begin to serve their entire lives, you know, um, just following Jesus. And their son grows up to become a pastor and then to lead this whole conference of, of pastors and plant churches all around the world. And uh, after he's out there doing this, this one guy, um, his dad is, is, is a part of this, this group somewhere, and he's telling the story, and they're like, hey, if you have a story about, um, you know, how you came to follow Jesus or whatever, please share it. And so he's, he's, his dad is, still drove a truck for a long time, not really much of a talker, but he decides to share his story, and he shares the story, and then this gentleman comes up, really, really old guy, and, he, and he's got a lot of tears in his eyes, and he says, um, he says you know, that night... Um, I rented out that entire theater. He was, an, he was a local business owner. I rented out that entire theater, and I did it like every Friday for like a long, long time. And they went up front, and I shared the gospel. And in all that time, not one person came forward and said that they were going to share the gospel or they, that they were going to respond to the gospel and respond to Jesus. And I did that so long, and I didn't think it made any difference. And now here, years and years later, this guy says, man, that changed my life. And we tried to raise our son in the church, and now he sends church planters all over the world. And you know what it did for that, that man? And you think at, at 96, you, you need some encouragement, right, to keep going. You know, he was really old. And here he is, and he hears this guy say, man, what you did for the gospel encouraged me. So, You know, what, what you did led me to become a Jesus follower, and he's so encouraged that he just continues. He's able to continue the fight and continue sharing his faith. And the truth is, when somebody encourages us, man, we're so much more bold to follow Jesus. And if we'll be people who encourage one another, we will be a people who follow Jesus. And we will be a people who do great things for Jesus. But here's the reality. It gets a little bit harder than that. It's not just about encouraging one another. Your obligation to people in the church goes just a little bit deeper. Check this out. Um, as we jump into this next text, let, let me be this next piece of the text, and I'll tell you a little bit about what it means to be church. Let me be honest with you about a struggle that I have. I struggle in a very real way to be, to be about how forward I am supposed to be with people about their sin. Because some of the things when people come to me and they have something that they want to share or, you know, they, you know, or just something that's going on in life, oftentimes... The, the things that you seek out counseling for, the things that are going on in your life are a result of your sin or the sin of someone around you. 
And sometimes people just don't, you know, they don't seem to connect the dots. And, and I don't want to be a guy that's like, you know, why life sucks because you're a sinner. You know what I mean? And, you, know, you just want to kick people while they're down. And so I just struggle with how often to say, you know, this is because of sin and it's, and it's sin to this degree. But almost always the things that you struggle with are a result of your sin. And, you know, I know that there's a line that doesn't need to be crossed. You know, when I go to a funeral, it doesn't matter how terrible the guy was. Somebody says, we'll see him again in heaven. Fly high. You know, and I'm like, for one, you don't get wings when you die, right? Angels have wings. People don't get them when you die. So if you say that, just know that's not true. Um, but also, um, you know, if someone is only terrible and all we can do is say terrible things, then I, I'm not going to stand up and say he's going to hell, but I'm not going to stand up and say he's going to heaven. But I know that this is not the venue to stand up and correct theology and be like, actually, that's totally wrong. This guy was a sinner, you know? So I get that. I get that there's a right and a wrong place to do that. But I think sometimes that God is like, you should be honest that this is sin that got you here. And so that's a that's a real challenge for me. As a pastor, I want to be an encourager. As an individual, I don't really want to pry, you know. As a churchgoer, I don't want to isolate people from the church, and I don't want people to feel like they're being judged, and it's just a real struggle for me. So I jump into this text, and it really speaks to me. But verse 14 and 15, if you just skip down just a little bit, Paul continues to say to them, he says, We urge you. Brothers and sisters, he's talking to the church at Thessalonica, we earn you guys, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And the reality is, what I realize is that you and I as the church are called to hold one another accountable. And man, that can be super challenging. If you thought encouraging people was hard, this is super hard. It says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. You know what I think this means? He's covering both both strands. And he says, some people in the church are incredibly idle, and they're Jesus followers, but all they tend to do is every now and then they make it on a Sunday, or maybe they never make it on a Sunday, or, or maybe it's not necessarily about their, their church attendance, but, but they're not serving people out in their community, and they're not sharing the gospel, and they're just not doing anything that God has called them to do or be a part of, and you gotta, you got to address that with people. And the last thing I want to do when, 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 some, when I haven't seen somebody in a long time and I see them out in town or something like that, and I'm like, man, you know what, I bet you hadn't been sharing the gospel. Right, right, that doesn't feel very good, and I don't think it's supposed to be forward like that. But I think there's an idea that, that when people are not following Jesus that we say, you know what, I just I, I want to be there for you. I want to help support you, and I want you to, to do the things that God called you to do. And that's a pretty hard conversation. Uh, it says warn people who are disruptive. That's pretty easy. Uh, it says be patient with everyone. Anybody want to chuckle at that one? Uh, I'm not even going to address that one because it's, too convicting for me at this moment. Um, it says, make sure people aren't just sinning in response to sin. Because isn't that our common reaction to sin? To sin in return? And, and in short, what it's saying is, hold one another accountable. It's not about judging people, right? It's about us becoming more like Jesus. Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's about us all becoming better. That's why we do that. Here's what I realized about me. What I realize is that when it comes to my, my brother or my other brother or my sister or maybe my mom or, or Molly, even though she's not totally getting it yet, or, or, or my wife, you know, I'm, I'm, I can be real honest with them. I feel real free to say, 
you know and I know that this is sin. I won't, I won't kill you about it right now, right? But I just want to be honest with you. But I feel like I can do that with them because I've put in the time to love them. And me being honest with them doesn't communicate to them, well, all you ever do is tell me what's wrong. Because I put in a lot of time to make sure that they know that I love them. But people that I haven't put in the time with, I don't feel like I can do that with. I don't want them to feel like the only love I have for them is tough love. And so in order for you and I to hold people accountable, we've got to start with loving people. But we have to be people who love people. So here's the question. We come back to it. Is the church essential? Like, is it necessary? I would say that to you about the church, that even more than that, the church is just a given. It's sort of like your skin. You don't ever say, man, do I really need this skin? Like, do I have to have it? Does it have to go everywhere with me? No, it's just a part of you, right? When you were born, you had it. When you die, hopefully, unless something unreal happens to you, right? You still have it all, right? It's just a part of who you are. And the church is just, when you became a Jesus follower, the church is just a part of who you are. It's not really debatable. It's just a given. And Scripture doesn't tend to to make an argument for it because it just assumes that you are a part of the church. And for me... As I grow in my faith, the church becomes, when I was a kid, church was an obligation, right? You know, and, and man, you know, it was boring. Sometimes it's still boring. Sometimes I'm up here preaching, I'm boring myself, right? And, and sometimes those things tend to happen, right? But, but as I grow in my faith, rather than church becoming this unnecessary obligation, church feels like a must for me. And it feels like something that I can't miss. And I feel it when I'm absent. And I need to be encouraged because life is too hard to not be encouraged. I need to know that people have my back. I need to be held accountable because trying to live life and fight a battle by myself is just too great for me to do it alone. So for you and me, I would say, be a part of the church. You are a part of the church. Choose to be a part of it. And choose to be a part of the way that God has chosen to reveal himself to the world. And secondly, encourage one another. Encourage one another and be encouraged. And then love people and do the really hard thing of holding people accountable. And then do the even harder thing of allowing someone to hold you accountable. Um, Not a shameless plug here, just a public service announcement because I believe it to be true. But you know where most conversations happen where we begin to realize that this is sin or this is not sin or where we feel encouraged or where people pray for us? It's usually in small group. I don't want to knock you down if if you can't make it and you're like, well, I work. I'll quit my job and we'll all starve in my house, right? It's not like that, right? But, But, man, so much of that happens there. And some of it happens here on Sunday morning, but so much more of it happens there. And so I I would encourage you, man, if you want to be a part of doing these things, that's a pretty good place to start. Let me pray for you. God, I praise you that you did not, that we did not become Jesus followers just so that we could live the rest of our lives still trying to figure it out by ourselves. But God, I praise you endlessly for the gift of the church. And God, I praise you that I didn't get to elect whether or not to be a part of it, but you just said you're a part of the church because whether you know you need it or not, you need to be encouraged. And you're a part of the church because whether you know you need it or not, you need to be held accountable. And God, I, I thank you for that. I thank you for a parent who knows what I need and does what is good for me, even when I'm not sure myself. 
And so, God, I thank you for that. God, I pray for the people that are here today. And, God, I pray that all of us would take seriously your calling to be the church to one another. God, we praise you for all that you do and all that you are, and we can't say thank you enough for all that you've done for us. God, as we enter into communion, God, I pray that we would just reflect on everything that you've put on our brains in this time because you didn't put them there so we could immediately forget them. But God, I pray that we would begin to cement those things in our mind and begin to live them out. And God, I pray that as we do all those things, that we would take a moment here to just say thank you for allowing us to be a part of the church in the first place. Thank you for dying for us and for rising again. And God, we just praise you for that. Lord Jesus, to you be all the glory. Amen. Amen. If y'all would stand, come and take.